Welcome to episode 100. This is the 100th episode of Kyperion Commentary. For over 10 years, Kyperion has brought to your virtual play topics ranging from the church all the way down to topics like Advent dinner recipes. I bet you didn't know that. You can take a look at Kyperion and find Advent dinner recipes. We have covered a wide range of subjects. We're all in our conspiratorial attempts to make America Kyperian again. That's what we're trying to do. Now, what you may not know is that our guest today was an inspiration to me many years ago to start Kyperian Commentary. I'm not even sure he knows about it. But I want to give just a little context for our conversation today. In the early days of COVID, back in the year of our Lord 2020, some of you may remember, a few of us uh, began to see signs of things to come. We began revealing our inner skeptics, first in tidbits, and then we offer them in titanic-sized portions. Now, I wasn't the only one. My guest, Dr. Andrew Sandlin, was right along thinking through these issues very, um, very poignantly and uh, very effectively. And there we were in two different parts of the country, I in Florida, Andrew in California, and we were speaking very hard things in a day when the generation was very eager to accept all that came from the lips and mouths of the state. And throughout that season, I sought Andrew's wisdom, and our communication throughout was something that I will treasure for years to come. Thankfully, the things we have written and the things that we opined about, they didn't remain archived in Zuckerberg's secret files. They took on a life of its own, and the fruit of this compilation of essays from men that Andrew and I love and cherish. And we discuss topics ranging from COVID mandates all the way down to misguided creational hermeneutics. All of that has been compiled into a tremendous book. But first and foremost, Andrew Sandlin is the president of the Center for Cultural Leadership. And he is the editor of this very exciting new work, Failed Church. Restoring a Vision of Ecclesial Victory, which as of now is number one new release under Christian Commentaries on Amazon.com. So welcome, Andrew Sandlin. Thank you uh, so much, Yuri. I didn't know all of that background, and I feel especially humbled and privileged to be on your 100th episode. And uh, congratulations to you, and I thank God for what he's doing, and I especially treasure your friendship. Likewise, and I can't think of a better guest to for our 100th episode. So here we are. We were back in the olden days of 2020 talking about COVID and all these issues. And you didn't begin with any skepticism. You had a sense of where things were going. And do you remember, Andrew, one of the first sort of thoughts you had as this season began to unfold before us? Do you remember feeling this sense of angst, like something is behind the scenes here? Yes, I did. Um, though I am uh, not a charismatic, as most people understand that term, I do identify with the, the view that some of them have about uh, Satan actually being at work in the world. He's not controlling the world. He doesn't own the world. He's not going to win in the world. But the Bible does indicate that he is at work. And in my view, when the Bible speaks often of principalities and powers, it's referring to uh, Satan and uh, his minions behind the scenes, I think that the um, virus itself, as Luther would have suggested, and I think as I pointed out, and uh, certainly um, the uh, response, the statist response was uh, demonically inspired. Mm. And so in my view, uh, Christians have to stand strongly against it. And I think 
In fact, you and I actually had uh, a discussion about that uh, on an episode. I think what was uh, really sad, and it relates to this book, is how the church responded. Mm. Uh, statism, of course, is bad enough, but when churches collaborate in that uh, by acting as though they're non-essential, I think that was the great collapse. And uh, in large part, that's what this book is about. Well, let me let me touch on it, and we'll we'll jump into the book. But one one additional question, to follow up to what you just said, Andrew, uh, was the church in some ways uh, ripe to hand over the keys to the state before this happened? Oh, a great question, Yuri. Uh, I think it's indisputably uh, yes is the answer. Um, I think the problem, uh, particularly in the United States, in the last oh hundred years, more than that, there hasn't been a fully developed view of the relationship of the church with the state and a distinctively Christian and biblical approach to politics. I think in the Reformed camp, there tends to be more of that biblical teaching because of the heritage and Puritanism, and not just Puritanism, other aspects of the church. But elsewhere, generally, there's not been that sound, rigorous teaching. There's essentially been the idea that the church is its own sort of separate private sphere, as it were, the state is its own private sphere, and there, of course, there is a difference biblically between church and state, but they were like hermetically sealed off from one another, and the church didn't develop a robust understanding of the role of the state, or, by the way, a robust view of the church either, I might add. And because of that, the church was ready for this collapse. So I think that the COVID-19 lockdowns and so on didn't really cause the church to collapse as such. I think that the collapse internally and ideationally and theologically and culturally was there already, and that these events just kind of tipped the church over. I think that's essentially what happened. Mm. So essentially, we just needed a, a sort of a, an apocalyptic sort of media war on the yes. church. The church just simply saying, here, take the keys and um, enjoy your time at our rental. Yes, yes, that's right. Sadly, that is true. That's true. So as we were thinking about this in the last two or three years, you had the, um, the sort of forethought to say there's so much being said that's unhelpful, but there's also so much that's being said that's been fruitful and helpful for the congregation, for the local churches to think through these issues, especially as a way of helping pastors contemplate, because as you and I suspect, this is not going to be a once in a lifetime event. You know, the question of what happens after a scenario like this is how will we be prepared next? Where does this book come into the picture in this conversation? Yeah. So we've mentioned the COVID issues. That, to me, was the initial driving force. But I think what we had in 2020 and 21, of course, as you've indicated, my roots are much earlier than that, but particularly in 20 and 21, was this a perfect storm of events that uh, the church colluded in. One, of course, was the COVID-19, the lockdowns and these various unhealthy and, in my view, unbiblical mandates. And then the response to the tragic uh, George Floyd killing and all of the riots and the related Black Lives Matter and the churches capitulating before, in my view, a form of liberal leftist racism, call for reparations and so on. And the church embraced a racialized gospel under the banner of anti-racism, ironically enough. And then, of course, the church is giving in to cancel culture mm -hmm. and increasingly to issues like our good friend Cal Beisner points out, the whole sort of climate change uh, furor. Uh, then, of course, uh, on economics, uh, socialism, 
and uh, buying into all sorts of false premises. And then as one chapter in the verse indicates, uh, the authoritarianism in the church. Of course, the church does have authority, but Brian Matson writes about the debacle up in Seattle mm-hmm. uh, with a Mark Driscoll. And I could sort of certainly go on and on and on. Uh, failed eschatologies, Gary DeMar has a fine chapter on that. But it seemed like although all of these things, of course, were around before, for some reason in the last two years, and it seems, and this is why I'm not afraid to use the word diabolical, Yuri, there mm-hmm. seems to be this, this confluence of all of these almost simultaneously uh, to cut down the church, uh, and it's, it's been a real tragedy. Not that there haven't been good uh, results. Uh, God, because he's sovereign, can bring good results out of, of course, bad things, but that kind of is the roots of, uh, of this book. One of the themes that I've heard you talk a lot about over the years is this theme that I hadn't thought much through, uh, with a few exceptions in R.J. Rushton, but you have sort of crystallized it, which is this creational hermeneutic. As you contemplate the role of the church during COVID, the lockdowns, everything else that unfolded as a result of that, where, if you can summarize it, Andrew, where has the church failed in interpreting society and culture? In other words, what's mm. the root of this failure of hermeneutics in the ecclesiastical sphere. Man, that's, that's great, Jerry. That's, and that is a big failure, not the only one, but a big one. I mean, most of us have a background broadly conceived in evangelicalism. Uh, of course, uh, the evangel, the euangelion is the gospel, and we understand the importance. Even evangelicals we wouldn't agree with, at least conceptually, understand the importance of the gospel. And they'll talk about gospel-centered churches and preaching the gospel. And of course, again, on a conceptual level, we don't disagree with that. I think the problem is that evangelicals have tended to have a high view of uh, evan- the evangel, the gospel, and the cross, and the resurrection, but not a high view of creation uh, and the creational structures. I do mean by that specifically six-day creation and uh, the literal Adam and Eve and the universal flood, which I certainly believe all of those, but I mean something even deeper. That God established at creation his creational norms. He structured the universe in a particular way, and that includes the creator-creature distinction, the imago Dei, man created in the image of God, man and woman as both created in God's image, but distinct and complementary and not the same, and the cultural mandate, man's calling under God to exercise dominion in the earth, and a fruitfulness, the idea of fruitfulness of all of creation, and the Sabbath, and a number of other things. But these are what I'd like to call creational norms. Not identical, by the way, to so-called natural law, which mm-hmm. is cut off from the scriptures, but these creational norms. So unfortunately, I think what's happened, Yuri, there's been a strong stress on the gospel as such, but not an understanding of the world within, the, within which the gospel comes to us. Mm. And I think many Christians have not thought about that. And so if you ask them which is more important, uh, the creation of the world or Christ dying on the cross, they would say, well, obviously God created the world, but it's the cross that's central to everything. But I don't think they understand that the cross and resurrection only have meaning in the kind of world that God himself created. I think what's really brought this to the fore is uh, so-called homosexual marriage and gender dysphoria and gender reassignment surgery and all of this gender confusion. And you've even had some churches say, well, we're not going to address that. And, uh, you know, we, we, we agree with the Bible, but we're not going to address those issues because they're not gospel issues. And I don't think they understand that they are gospel issues because the gospel, people say, where do you first find the gospel? Well, some would say Genesis 3.15, but I would prefer to say Genesis 1.1. That's mm-hmm. the good news, that God created everything, mm-hmm. and everything flows out of that. 
But churches in general, Yuri, were not equipped to address these issues in particular and other issues because they have not had a creational worldview. They've tried to have an evangel worldview, misguided though it might be, but not a creational worldview. Right, that's excellent. The, the way I've put it before, Andrew, is that uh, many in the evangelical sphere attempt to begin their hermeneutics or their understanding of reality in Genesis 3 instead of Genesis 1 and 2. So if you begin right. in Genesis 3, what you have essentially is a fallen world that needs to right. be desperately rescued, but it won't be rescued because it's in the context of the fall. In other words, there's nothing right. that the world is, there's no eschatology of the world except destruction. But if you begin with the gospel promise that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, then you can have the certainty that in the end, God will still be Lord over heaven and earth. But if you, if you begin from the perspective of a sinful universe, then your whole, the lenses by which you read creation and reality and the media and everything else is going to fall prey to sort of that hermeneutic. Uh, that's right. And this affects so many things. One thing it does, Yuri, as you know, we like to call it sort of the Genesis 3 Christians, is in the <laughs> end, salvation is reduced to individual soteriology. Right. And basically that Christ came and died so that I could be saved and others could be saved and he could take us to heaven when we die. And of course, live holy lives and so on. But basically, that's it. Uh, but of course, that is a, a, an essential feature, our individual salvation. But according to Romans 8 and a number of other biblical texts, that's not all that the cross and resurrection were all about. The gospel is how the God in Christ, his son, and his atoning death and resurrection and ascension and reign are mm -hmm. turning back all of the effects of sin that began in Genesis chapter 3. But uh, the foundation for everything is in Genesis 1 and 2. And that's why we have to be Genesis 1 and 2 Christians. If we're Genesis 1 and 2 Christians, don't worry. We'll, we'll have Genesis 3. But if we start in Genesis 3, we'll tend to have a very dualistic understanding of the faith. And as you well know, uh, as a leader of a church, and you've written fine on this, this has vast implications for the church, the importance of the church, the importance of the sacraments, the importance of the wholeness and robust character of the church, the importance of physical things, tactile things. Uh, if we don't understand this view, we'll tend to be dualistic and kind of hold that like prayer and Bible reading, vital though they are, and and attending church are sort of a higher spirituality, but economics and philosophy and politics, these are all lower and relatively unimportant things. Well, that's a mark of Genesis 3 Christians, not Genesis 1 and 2 Christians. Yeah, excellent. Now, if there's somebody who could uh, bring together these voices all into one book, that's that's Andrew Sandlin. Listen, for those who are listening to this, this episode here, these are essays from men who have been living faithfully in the Reformed world and pursuing this um, robust vision for the church and society and the family, men like George Grant, Jeff Ventrella, John Frame, Gary DeMar, some of our, our heroes, men who have lived well, have written uh, faithfully on these issues for decade after decade. Andrew, when you, when you put this work together, and I've added a book in uh, about a decade ago, it is uh, a very complex process. Did you find yourself, even though there are topics that you have dealt with over the years, did you find yourself sort of overwhelmed by the level of scholarship um, all in these essays uh, coming together in one book? Uh, boy, that's another astute question. No wonder you have this program, Yuri. You ask excellent questions. Very <laughs> astute. Yes, I did. I mean, there's some things, though, I mean, I'm, I guess to say I've reasonably well read and have been around a while, but uh, some things that were uh, some points that were made, some points uh, that Gary DeMar made about eschatology, I think, and I must say here, not just because you're interviewing, your point on uh, 
In fact, one of the main points in your chapter on War of the Priesthoods, you made the interesting point, you're arguing against this sort of radical hyper-individualism and the uh, idea that man will be autonomous, doesn't need the church, doesn't need community, and yet you make the point that there is actually a perverse priesthood, a perverse community of the autonomous. So all of these radical, radically autonomous people do like to hang out together. Uh, <laughs> right. that, is a, that is a vital point that you made, and uh, that and a number of other things. I think that one point that I made, and I think it's vital for people to understand, the first chapter is by my friend Dr. Roger Wagner, mm-hmm. and he makes the point, and I, the reason I wanted his chapter first is that in criticizing, severely criticizing, many churches were not criticizing the church as an institution. He makes mm-hmm. that point. The church as an institution, of course, is vital. But that doesn't mean that all churches act as they should act. Mm-hmm. And that's essentially what this book is about. But again and again, I just read a number of things. Jeff and Trello's point on uh, creational issues, like you were talking about, creational issues in the law. John frames warnings on the denominationalism and how it hold up uh, celebrities in the church and so on and divide over secondary issues. That's that's also vital. So there are a number of other things. As I read them, I said, boy, I'm sure glad I put this book together because I was able to learn a few things. Yeah, and as I, I mentioned earlier in one of my posts, that what the church can do as you buy many copies for your congregation, what you can do is you can take these essays individually. You, you don't have to read the whole book at once. That's right. You can tackle issues like anti-church autonomy, COVID mandates, cancel culture, LGBTQ+, pietism, you know, truncated worldviews, social justice, a twisted definition and interpretation of Romans 13, which was probably thrown out more during the COVID season than John 3.16. All these essays are individually given so they can be studied alone. They can be studied as a whole, but as your congregation or men's or ladies study uh, are interested in looking for a range of topics that um, are very pertinent to our day, this is the book for you to get. I'm going to encourage you to pick up a copy of Failed Church, Restoring a Vision of Ecclesial Victory, edited by my dear brother, Andrew Sandlin. Andrew, I want to thank you for joining us for the 100th episode of Kyperion, and I am uh, eager to give you a big hug in December. Lord willing, brother. A big Brazilian Christian hug, my friend. Thank you for having me on, buddy. I appreciate you so much and have nothing but the highest regard for you and your congregation. Thank you, my friend. The Lord bless you.